The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, <clears throat> oh, I'm not sure I've got all my pieces together here. Hold on a moment. <laughs> Somebody had larger ears than I did. Okay, I think we're there. So, uh, my name is Maria Stratman. I forgot to say that last week, so I'll say that now. And I'm here for Diana, who is on retreat, but she should be back next week. So, um, tonight, what I'd like to talk to you about is experiencing ease. So, when I say experiencing ease, I do not mean that everything is going to be easy, or that you're going to be happy, or that everything will suddenly stop being a problem for you. In fact, it turns out that ease is somewhat difficult to talk about. And mostly what I'm going to talk about is the, what it is not, what ease is not, and then uh, how we might be able to go about that. So last week, I sort of introduced the topic by putting an emphasis on mindfulness and the need for being aware of things just as they are, to be able to see just this, just this. And the importance of perseverance, that is, that you just keep coming back, you just keep coming back, and you just keep showing up. And you don't stop. You just keep being mindful. You keep reminding yourself, recalling, this is what I'm doing. And another important idea we talked about is that the whole thing, all of the experience is a process. It's not a thing. It's a process. I'm having trouble with my glasses tonight. Sorry about that. So mindfulness is a process. It's not a place. It's not... uh, We think of it as a technique, but what we're really doing is paying attention to this is what's going on now. This is what's here. This, 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 and this, and this. Experience as we know it is transitory. It comes and goes. Our thoughts come and go. The feelings of our body come and go. Sounds come and go. Tastes come and go. Everything is transitory. It's conditional. That is. We don't get to determine what it is. It's based on all of the things that have happened before we came here, the environment that we're in, the attitude that we have when we get up in the morning. Whatever our experience is, is conditioned by all the things around us and within us and before us and what we're thinking, it's all conditioned by that. And we don't control those conditions. And it's uncertain. We don't know what happens next. Despite the fact that the brain that we operate with believes that we know what's coming next, we actually don't know what's coming next. Because an experience doesn't happen until it happens. 
We can't make it happen. We can't control what happens. It's in process, as are we. The person that we call self is also in process. We're not the same as we were. This afternoon I was reading a poem um, by the poet Zimborska, if I get that right, who uh, had written a poem about herself as a, a teenager. And she said, I, I look at that girl and I say, who was that? <laughs> she can't identify with who she was as a teenager at all. And it's very clear I'm a different person even though she knows that person very well. Both of those persons, they're not the same. And that's true of each of us. We're not the same as we once were. We're not the same as we were a moment ago. What we experience is very momentary. And we experience it through this body, through all the feelings and sounds and tastes and thoughts of this body. But to think that this body isn't changing, and that there is a me that isn't changing, is not paying attention. It's not being aware of the really transitory, conditional nature of who we are. Who we are. And that this is controlled by the memory Okay, so memory being the continued processing of information and information retention over time. The thing that, that the neurocircuits that are created in the brain, that the brain uses to tell us what to do about these conditions. So on the way here, I left with plenty of time, and I turned on to Sand Hill Road, which is kind of the main artery out of Palo Alto going to 280 which was the route that I take getting here. And so I turned onto the this, this street and was shocked to find a line of traffic. At 7 at night, it just is unusual. 5 o'clock, yeah, I get it, but boom, to stop. And then the light changed and we didn't move. And I thought, what's happening? And I could feel that frizzen of fear around, oh, I'm going to be late. And all the associated thoughts around that. Well, I should have checked this, and I should have checked that, and what if I did this, and maybe... And then, and what I did instead was say, and how is my body doing? What's happening? Am I leaning forward, which is what I tend to do when I'm rushing? <laughs> I'll lean forward, you know, I'll grab the, grab the steering wheel. No, I wasn't doing any of those things. I was quietly, my hands were quietly, just barely grasping, and I said, oh... Despite this frizzen of fear about how I have to rush, I'm not yet rushing. I don't have to rush. So even though the brain was giving me signals, oh, this, this, is, this is potentially bad, you should prepare for things not being what you expected, I didn't have to react to that. And it was so um, happy-making to realize that I wasn't reacting to that. Even though I felt, I felt the frisson of fear, that was there. But I didn't have to rush. And then I felt contentment. And then I said, but I have to drive. <laughs> it's constantly changing. It's going all the time. 
But I did not have to get into a mode based on what the brain told me was true. The other thing is that the, the, mind, the, the, yeah, the mind tends to create a concept around our experiences. It likes to turn things into nouns, you know. So what I called a frisson of fear was really a feeling in my body that I translated, interpreted as a frisson of fear, a small excitement. But it was really just a small excitement. And it was only when the mind named it fear and set up all those conditions around, well, here's how you react to this, that I had to worry about it. What we're interested in, the way to experiencing ease, is to find oneself in the alternative ways, to to notice there are alternative ways of interpreting what the signals of our bodies and minds are are sending us. There are alternatives to the reactive way that is common, whatever that reactive way is. We depersonalize the sensation. We take it out of the realm where we're saying, this is who I am and I will do. I take care of the things this way. Here's what I do. In the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the sutta that talks about mindfulness, discourse on the establishment of mindfulness. It kind of, it makes a statement that is really about ease, although it doesn't say that. The statement is, one abides independent, not clinging to anything in this world. Now, on the surface, you look at that and you say, okay, this is another message about not clinging, not holding on. But the real word that I want to put your attention on is the word independent. Independent. And the independence here is um, not about, well, it is about freedom, actually. (laughs) But it is about being unshackled, unimpelled. I'm not forced to do this. I don't have to do this. The independence is about not succumbing to reactivity. And we can only do that by being mindful of what's happening, by seeing what's happening, by being clear, seeing clearly, oh, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. The mind is continually engaged in the process of wanting or not wanting. I like this, I don't like this, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant. All of that that string of... of, uh, arising that comes from the sensation, the feeling, it's pleasant or unpleasant, I like, I don't like, I want, I don't want, that all happens very quickly. And the mind is constantly setting this up, I want, I don't want. We form patterns of reactivity around that. And then we translate those patterns of reactivity into who I am. So shortly before I came, I picked up, I foolishly looked at my email, and there was a last minute of the day message that somebody had sent out. Do you know about this form? Call me if you have any questions. And I thought, oh my goodness, this person is totally misinterpreting this form. I filled this form out long ago, and it wasn't for them, it was for me. (laughs) And 
my mind immediately wanted to solve a problem without actually knowing what the problem was, except that it was unexpected that he wanted me to call him with my questions. And um, immediately the mind went into, I have to have a solution for this. I have to handle this. It has to be done now. And I kind of laughed at how quickly that happened. Now, I have to do this now. And what is it I have to do now? It's already done. But somehow there was this impetus. I have to do this. And I kind of laughed at that person that had to do this. And I spent a few minutes sort of, well, let's see. What are the consequences? A brief analysis of, you know, what is the problem here? And then I say, okay. It is how it is. There is confusion. This is contractual confusion between two different organizations, by the way. So it's not just somebody misinterpreting me. It has to do with a lot of other things. And so I thought, well, okay. It's done. We're not assigning them this right. And so... Now all I have to do is manage it. It was, a sort of, it was not so much a simplification as a stepping back from the idea that it's a problem. There may be something to be solved, but the truth is it doesn't require establishing fault, blame, anything that has to do with why this is happening. Just this is happening, so now what do I do? Okay, so, so it's stepping back from all the defensive things and all of the uh, creating a problem part of it and just saying, oh, now this is how things are. Now this is how things are. The practice of finding oneself at ease is not the result of a deliberate action. It's not like I can give you a practice and say, well, practice this and you will be at ease. You don't get to make an agreement with the universe, if I do these five things, then I get ease, right? Because ease is something that arises out of the conditions in which we're practicing. It has a lot to do with the attitude that we're carrying around. What do I think about how I am in the world? How do I feel about how things are in the world? Am I attached to whether things are desirable or undesirable? Or can I be independent of that decision? Can I be independent of the reactivity on whether this is desirable or undesirable? If that is a function of needing things to be other than they are? Do I need things to be other than they are? Which is what gives rise to suffering, needing things to be other than they are. The way to ease is to find oneself in the place where you just let things be what they are. This is not to say complacent. It just means that you say, oh, That's how it is. Now what? Oh, that's how it is. You don't rush to blame responsibility, criticism, resentment. All of those things are extra things. 
Mindfulness from the Satipatthana Sutta says, one is aware as it actually is. This is suffering. This is the arising of suffering. This is the cessation of suffering. This is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. This is the practice, to see things just as they are and to see, oh, this is causing suffering. Oh, suffering is less when this happens. Oh, if I do this, I notice the suffering decreases. There's another kind of uh, system within Buddhism that talks about how we think about obstructions or how we think about how wanting things to be other than they are. And that is a, a, a system whereby we look at the gratification that comes from having things as they are. We see the danger in that gratification and we let go of it is called escape escape so it's gratification danger escape so if i can see clearly doing this creates this potential danger so wanting something so much that it makes my life miserable wanting so much that this has to be this way does indeed make my life miserable and i can see that that wanting is very dangerous That wanting, that wanting is so strong that it's tying me up in knots. That's a danger. And how do I escape from that danger? By lessening, by lessening the need to want. So, if we think of any affliction, wanting or not wanting, as a form of enchantment, you know, I really, I just want this. Can't I just want this? Come on. It's not hurting anything. If we see how entangled we are through that wanting, if we see that entanglement, then we are no longer deluded that everything about it is wonderful. We see Ah, we become disenchanted. We're not enthralled by that way of being. And when we are disenchanted, we become dispassionate. The energy flows out of it. And we say, oh, I guess not. I guess no. I, I have to see that. I have to see what's actually happening. Now that I see it, I can't unsee it. What we're talking about is becoming unattached to what we want. Unattached. It doesn't mean we stop wanting things. It just means we don't have to have them. We don't adopt that, that feeling of I must have. And we see when that arises and we say, ooh, Sticky, sticky. And we don't necessarily do anything about it. It's not a call to action. The principle is when we see it, 
the tendency to hold on to it is automatically lessened. So I can give you an example of that. Let's say, uh, let's say I, have, I have something that I'm very resentful about. Okay, somebody has done something that is just unforgivable. Now, I can spend a lot of effort trying to forgive them for the unforgivable, but it's more useful for me to see I am resentful, that there is resentment here. I can see the resentment. And when I see that resentment, I can say, that hurts. I hate that resentment. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not fair. It's not fair. And my need for it to be fair, when after all it's already happened, I can't affect the outcome of something that has already happened. I can see the futility of that. I can see there's, there's no hope for that. Okay, so I, I'm going to give up wanting it to be better. Oh, I can see that the resentment has nothing to do with the person or group that's caused this thing, but everything to do with my desire for what has already happened to be different than it was. The resentment is all mine. The suffering of resentment is all mine. It's not caused by you or your action. It's tied up in my reactivity to wanting things to be different. And it's already happened. It can't be different. It's already happened. And you could argue, yeah, but if I just let that pass, nobody said anything about letting it pass. It's different. What we're talking about is very subtle. What we're talking about is the need to have it that way the need for it to be different. You can feel it in your body. You feel a kind of leaning into it. and uh, There's there's a, a tight energy. And when you feel that tight energy, you say, oh, alarm, alarm. I should see what's happening here. What's really happening here? The art of just being present for what is true is a kind of uh, uninvolvement. It's not, it's not really uninvolved so much as it's unattached. It's unattached. You have to be completely in it. You have to know it's happening to see clearly. But you don't have to hold on to it and, and, and make it mine. It doesn't have to be about you. It can just be this has arisen. This thing has arisen. So if we think about ease, what we're talking about is what people like to call uh, equanimity. And I kind of stay away from equanimity just because everybody thinks it means I'm comfortable with and everything is balanced. And, in, and what I really mean to talk about is that ease is this, the attitude that allows you to say, I see you whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. It isn't about it being good or you being good or anything being better or worse than it was. It's seeing clearly 
This is how it is. Resentment is here. I see the resentment. But I don't have to say, I am resentful. I can just see the resentment. And if I don't try to justify it to myself, thereby re-energizing it by telling the story, it kind of loses its oomph. It's really actually hard to hold on to it. There are, um, there are people in my life. There's, I'm thinking of somebody. Yeah. So, so Mary was, uh, is no longer with us. But when I first met her, the two of us uh, were pretty uncomfortable with one another. We were both pretty strong women with, with uh, uh, lots of opinions. And she wanted to go this way and I wanted to go that way. Pretty much we had the same thing in mind, but we just wanted to do it differently. So we ended up being on a committee together. I think we were trying to we were trying to get uh, an increase in property tax assessments to take care of our roads. So this was not an easy project to go around and convince people they should raise their taxes. But we were on a committee together to do this, and so we decided we needed to get to know each other because we were both aware of this discomfort we had with one another. So I told her uh, that, I was, uh, that I had worked for a company that built cyclotrons. So if you don't know what that is, it's a very large physics machine that uh, produces uh, radioactive isotopes or radiation beams for a variety of uses. Uh, our applications were medical, so I was telling her that, you know, I, I used to build cyclotrons. And all of a sudden, everything changed. And I assumed, you know, it had to do with, well, okay, so she knows I'm not an idiot. And, you know, I know this is a bright woman. And so maybe we, we can be more comfortable. It was only after she died that I learned that her father was E.O. Lawrence, who invented the cyclotron. She never told me. But the openness to just not requiring her to explain to me what was different and her willingness and my willingness to just be open to each other over things we didn't know about each other led to actually a very warm friendship. Unfortunately, she died less than a year later. But it is, it is that openness about, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know about you. You may make me uncomfortable, but I actually don't know you. And so what I'm uncomfortable about has to do with something I wish was true that doesn't have any meaning, doesn't have any reality, is not part of the experience, it's what I'm creating out of the reactivity for I want things to be this way. I want things to be this way. The Pali word for equanimity is upeka. And the components of that word break down into a looking over, looking over something, looking broadly about something. That The idea is you're looking at what is unfolding and you just allow it to be. 
The mind is responding to what's arising, but we don't have to go into the place of reactivity. We can go into neutral, open. Okay, it could be this, but what if it's not? What if I'm just available for how it changes, for what arises next? You can literally feel the energy in your body change from a kind of stretching like a rubber band that re- relaxes. Just, just thinking, what if I'm wrong? As long as it doesn't go all the way the other way to, oh my goodness, I could be wrong, and we develop a, a fear in the other direction. But just that neutral place of, I don't know what's going to happen Fear is present. Uncertainty is present. Anxiety is present. But I don't have to take it in, make tea for it, turn it into my life story. I can just let it be. I don't even have to let go of it. What I'm letting go of is the need for it to be different than it is. So I st- I'm walking around at night. I stub my toe. I f- it hurts. Fortunately, I don't break my toe. It's your fault for leaving that there. It's my fault for being so clumsy. It's the fault of the chair for sticking out so far. I should have gotten rid of that a long time ago. All of those thoughts are extra, creating more stress. It just happened. And the pain is enough. We don't have to create more pain by castigating ourselves or someone else, by creating fault, the toe is already stubbed. (laughs) Okay. Despite all efforts, I keep getting older. Now, older is older then. But I'm not really old. If I get tied to, I don't want to get older, I'm sort of missing the whole point. The point is, I am still here. I am still this way. No, I'm no longer that way. Nor am I what I fear in the future. I'm just this. Rather than holding on or pushing away, I'm just here for this. I'm not enchanted by how I wish things could be. I just see clearly. It doesn't mean that we disengage with life or that we don't have things that we fight for or that we believe in or goals that we set for ourselves. That's all part of fully living this life. But there's an attitude of mind that can be open to any experience around what my intentions are without condemning those experiences, without elevating those experiences, by just seeing the experiences just as they are. It's actually not dispassion in the sense that we want to be passionately alive to be passionately in this moment. It's when we passionately want things to be other than they are that we get into trouble. 
And it's the need to change them, to affect it, to manipulate the present, the need to manipulate what we see that gives rise to suffering. And it's distinguished from determination that I'm going to make these changes or these improvements or I'm going to stand up for these rights. Those are all good things. What is also true is it's not saying that if I don't make this happen, I can't be happy. I can never be, I can never be satisfied unless this is true. We can work towards something without it having to be true in order to not suffer. What we pay attention to is where am I struggling? If we're struggling, suffering is present. We can join a struggle without struggling. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. We are not free of conditions in the world. We are not free of intentions. But we can be free of the stubborn holding on to our way. We can be free of that. For years, I had miserable Thanksgivings because I had an idea about what Thanksgiving should be that my family never met. And when I gave up that idea, I started enjoying Thanksgiving again. It took me so long to figure out I was the one making me unhappy because they weren't behaving the way I wanted them to behave. But what I let go of wanting them to be a certain way, lo and behold, all of that tension washed out. And I could just enjoy the family. I had to give up the idea that it had to look a certain way. And if not everything hit the table at the same time. The food didn't hit the table at the same time, and the turkey wasn't cooked exactly this way, and the tofu furkey was different. And I used to make five meals for Thanksgiving. It was ridiculous. All trying to have it look a certain way. The need to make things as we want them is the thing that gives rise to suffering. There's another set of three that's important in Buddhism that's part of this suffering continuum. It has to do with the determination of sila, samadhi, and pana. So that is integrity or virtue, stability, samadhi being Meditation Meditation comes in between a virtuous life and wisdom. Pana is wisdom. In order to experience ease, one must be comfortable with these three legs of how we practice. Forget about the overemphasis on technique. It's not that if I sit most effectively in meditation, then all of this is automatically going to happen because that's not the case. In order to be able to look at things as they are, I actually have to know that I am leading a well-intentioned life. The confidence that comes from I am living my best intentions 
can't be overlooked. It doesn't mean we don't mistakes, we don't make mistakes, that we don't uh, behave in ways that we don't like. We can say, oh, there you are doing that thing again. But we don't add condemnation on it. We say, oh, look what's working. We develop the virtuous life. We develop the ability to be stable, to follow through on our intentions. That's what we do in in meditation, when we find a place of stillness. So when I describe to you the the, uh, getting in line on Sand Hill and saying, where is my body? I felt a stillness in me that told me I wasn't reacting, that there was still time to just be still. You have to become familiar with that place of stillness in order to reach it, in order to recognize that it's there. I'm not talking about deep jhanic states here, just the stability of I am here, I am here, I am here. I am in this moment, this person just as she is, is in this moment. And to feel that settling that comes from that thought, the stillness and stability of, I'm still here. And the wisdom that comes from seeing the habits of mind that are operating, to see, up, oh, frozen of fear, but I don't have to. These, these three areas... Sila, Samadhi, Pana, are really about the Eightfold Path, the ways to the cessation of suffering. That's integral to it. So what I'm saying is the way to ease is to adopt a life that allows you to feel it, that, that increases the likelihood that it can arise in your life. And that involves each of these three factors. It involves being mindful and seeing things as clearly as possible so that we are not enchanted but become disenchanted and therefore not delusional. We can say, oh, I see this is what's operating. It may not be comfortable. It may be wonderfully comfortable but I don't know what's going to happen next. Being present for that is what it really means to be alive. So I'm going to give you a little quote here from uh, Earthland Emanuel, who wrote a book called The Way of Tenderness. And the subtext to that is awakening through race, sexuality, and gender. So she is a a Zen priest, black woman. Uh, Let's see. And here's, here's the quote. I speak simply of just being still, of finding that place where our only act is breathing. In this state of stillness, we do not seek answers for our active minds, but allow one breath to be the total experience of life. A moment is not now. A moment is simply a state of being itself. We, too, can be in a state of being ourselves 
and not worry about now. We can be wholly ourselves as ourselves while engaging the breath. As a result of this breath, as a result of the meditation that arises from it, our motivations become purified of our wounds, our expectations, our stories, and our distorted perceptions of others. As a result of this breath, as a result of the meditation that arises from it, our motivations become purified of our wounds, our expectations, our stories, and our distorted perceptions of others. It is the simplicity of awareness. This is how it is. The simplicity of awareness. Nobody said it was easy. Just simple. The fullness of attention on just this allows us to see Clearly, we have breathing room. We're not, we're not constricted by all the ideas we have, by what we think about what's going on. We just let what we think about is going on, just let it lie there. Just let it be there. Just know it's like this, where I don't have to explain it to myself. I don't have to nuance it. I don't have to know all the details of why I think it's like this. Just, it's like this. And I remain steady in my purpose. I don't get distracted by trying to explain it to myself. It's like this. From this, we develop the confidence of just thisness, just being here, just, just this. And we can say, Ease. And ask yourself, what is ease? What would, what would place me at ease right now? Not a solution of the problem. So here's the practice. Ask yourself, what might you let go of so you can be more yourself? What might you let go of so you can be more yourself? So I have a little thing I want to read you from David White. This is a poem called uh, Tilikoa Lake. In this high place, it is as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step toward the cold surface. Say the old prayer of rough love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold light, reflecting pure snow, is the true shape of your own face. Leave everything you know behind. Step toward the cold surface. Say the old prayer of rough love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold light reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face. I wish you the true shape of your own face. Thank you.
We have only a brief minute if anyone has a comment. Yes? We have a, would you speak into the microphone because they're recording this? Hello. Um, I could not stop thinking about the whole time you were talking um, abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a very long one where at first I didn't want to get out because I didn't know there was a way out. Yeah. And then once I knew there was a way out, I didn't want to get out because I was like, well, what will I do? Who will I be? You know, like I just, this is, I'm, I'm attached to this house. I'm attached to this life. And so I, I can't want something different or better for myself. Once I began to want different and better and safer, you know, that was the beginning of a self-love journey. And I noticed my friends around me are in relationships that are very unhealthy and they're telling themselves they don't want to leave and that there is no better for them. So that's, I was hoping you could kind of touch on the, the nuance of that. that mm-hmm. Is. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I know what this is like. And, uh, you know, there, there's a place where the devil you know is safer than what's out there. If this is so scary, out there could be even worse. Because you begin to get it, the idea... There's several ideas that come up. One is, well, I don't deserve any more than this. One is, uh, uh, it could be worse than this. Now that I know this is bad, even worse could wait for me out there. There are all kinds of variations on that. And what is needed is to say, where is suffering? This is suffering. I do not need to suffer. Now, when when you're really when when your sense of safety is tied up with this the the real delusion is thinking that you're safe in that situation so what is needed is a a reassurance it it it, it actually amounts to compassion toward oneself and to, to achieve compassion towards oneself you have to say you have to be able to get yourself into the place where you feel I'm doing the best I can. I'm really trying hard. And I love me. Because ultimately it comes down to a decision on whether you love yourself, how you can move forward. It, it really has to be something that, that settles on your own sense of worth. And in order to reach that, you have to look at how am I living in the world? Am I not harming? Am I not lying? Am I not stealing? Am I not abusing sexuality? Am I not abusing intoxicants? No, I'm not doing any of those things. Then life is good. You are You are doing your part to be free of afflictions. And so you deserve, you deserve to love yourself, to get to the place where your worth is not dependent on other people, where you can just see, here I am. And 
there's a, there's a seeing of all the other stuff that you're attached to. It, it, it's in that place of um, uh, gratification and escape, to escape. Gratification, danger, escape. So how you, how you see the momentariness of the gratification and the danger that exists outside of that gratification. So the gratification is I'm safe here. But then it turns out you're not safe there. Then when you see that, when you see that really clearly, I'm not safe, then you, you can't unsee it. And you don't need to cooperate with being unsafe. But that's, that's a very personal journey, and it's not one you can do for someone. In the end, it can, you can only do it for yourself. And you can urge other people and support other people, but you actually can't do it for other people. And you can't judge that the conditions that someone else chooses are necessarily unskillful. You know, I watched uh, some very negative behavior in my family and have encouraged people to do otherwise, and they're still my family, and they didn't do otherwise. Okay, those are the choices being made. And so, as a friend, you're in a position of supporting that person. Not necessarily what they're doing, but that someone makes a choice. It's, it has to be their choice. In the end, it's their choice. And to, to disabuse oneself of the idea that I can fix things, that, that's delusion. You can't fix because you can't control the conditions. So you can only make individual decisions. I really appreciate that response. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. It it is more of a focus on the love I have for these people, less on what I want. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Good night, everyone.